the M3 Podcast, marketing knowledge to help you succeed. Let's get started. Welcome back to the M3 Podcast. We have a very special guest on with us this week, Elizabeth Hill. Thank you for being here. Thank you for inviting me. And we have Dalton from the MMG side over here. What up? And you guys know each other, so I'm the odd man out today. We do. We do and know each other. We do know each other. We go way back. All right. Let's let's start. How do you guys know each other? You, you want to tell her or do you want me to? You can share. Okay. So I'm very good friends with Elizabeth's son, Stephen. I think Stephen and I probably met in seventh grade, seventh which would have grade. been 2007-ish yep. for us. So. I have you, have you on the ish? Yeah, I think it's, <laughs> I think it was 07, probably 07. So I used to go over to Steven's house all the time and uh, they lived in Wrist Lake at the time. And that was really close to where I lived. So we would hang out, have sleepovers. And I used to work on the farm yes. that Elizabeth owns that we'll probably get into. Yep. So Very yeah. cool. And then it comes full circle around. Steven hits me up on Instagram. He's like, hey, my mom needs to be on here. <laughs> He's like, and so here we are. Here we are. Yep. Steven's always uh, pimping me out. That's not the right word, but he's always like, yeah, you know, he does that with referring clients to me and my mom can help you out. And then she gives him, he gives him my cell phone number. I'm like, stop doing that. I don't work off my cell phone. Give him my office number. And then some random person calls you. Yeah. And then somebody will call and go, Hey, Steven said you could help me out. I'm like, oh my gosh. So I know I'm a, that's when I'm like, hey, can I just get the cell number? So. Yeah, right. I know. I always know it's one of the kids. If somebody's calling me on my cell, I'm like, it's one of the kids. One of my children has given out my cell phone number. Yeah, hey, I feel like he's doing pretty good referring business, though. He is very good at referring business. Yeah. Yeah. So what is it all that you do? All that I do? All that you do. So I have a law practice and I have a horse sporting facility. And I'm the mother to five children. Very nice. Yeah. Which, uh, out of the two businesses, which started first? Law. Law? Mm-hmm. And went, where did you go to law school at? I went to law school at UMKC and graduated. And I don't even know if I want to tell you when I graduated. <laughs> then you'll do the math and know how old I am. <laughs> um, I graduated in 87 from UMKC. And then I've been an attorney ever since. So over 35 years. Very I've been cool. practicing law. Yeah. So is, I don't know a whole lot about law, so I, I well, that's good. That means you've never been in trouble. <laughs> that's true. I, I, uh, I went to court that one time, uh, for insurance, not having it in my truck when I got yeah. pulled over at 16 and I went to the courthouse in shorts with a t-shirt with baby Carlos oh, on the good. front. And I walk in, I was like, Oh, and my dad was just like, yeah, hit the courthouse and show me your insurance. And I went in and. The, I go in a room and every single person's in there dressed up. And I'm wearing a white t-shirt, has baby Carlos on the front. And they're like, the judge was actually, she was amazing. She goes, you haven't been here before, have you? Mm-hmm. I'm hearing like court case, like <clears throat> case after case. And like, this person's caught with this, this much, like this many pounds of drugs. And I'm like, I don't feel like I'm, I don't am feel I, like I'm supposed to be in here. Am I in the right courtroom? <laughs> yeah, she comes and she's like, do you have your insurance? And I was like, she goes, I hope you just never end up being here. She's like, you you can go now. You can go. I, this might be a stupid question. Who the hell is baby Carlos? Uh, you know, a hangover, you know, yeah. when they, uh, they got the, that baby? baby. Yeah. And he had that deal yeah. strapped on. Yeah. And they carried that baby around. That was baby Carlos. Oh, and hangover too. Yep. So it was like a graphic tee. <laughs> and, uh, what a shirt. Yeah. It was. A, <laughs> what a proud moment. It was. 
Have you ever have you ever seen uh, a tire like that in a courtroom? No, because there's signs that say no shorts, no tank tops, no flip flops. I wasn't wearing flip flops or a tank top, but shorts. But yeah. shorts. So yeah. I only missed. Really. There's usually signs that talk about a tire before you walk in. So I think I got like a 66 percent. <clears> but it might have been a little late <laughs> when you were already there dressed that way. Yeah. So, yeah, so that was a uh, that was my only running with a uh, being at a courthouse in general. So. I'm assuming you have spent much more time in a courtroom. I have. So what What was the reason for getting into law? What made you want to do that? So, interesting story. I started out in marketing and retail and worked for Hartsfelds, which isn't in Kansas City anymore, but was a high-end women's clothing store as a buyer. And then they closed. Then Macy's Midwest hired most of the buyers from that store to come work for them across the street downtown, and then that division closed, and I could have gone to Phoenix or Atlanta, I think, and I was like, I don't really want to move from Kansas City, and then I thought, I don't really want to move from Kansas City, I want to get out of retail, because in like a four-year span, the two places that I worked closed, and I thought, this is not an area I want to be in, and so then I decided to go to law school. I don't know why, because nobody in my family was an attorney, and most people in my family didn't even go to college. <laughs> I'm going to go to law school. I don't know what I was thinking, but so well, I did. It looks like it's panned out great. It has panned out great. So there's a lot of different forms of law. Yes. So what law do you practice? So I practice family law. Okay. And that covers a lot of areas. Um, the most, the ones that you would know the most about would be adoption work, paternity when you're not married and you're having children together, divorces. Um, prenuptial agreements, guardianships, that kind of covers all of family law. Um, I originally was a litigator and now I do mostly mediation, collaborative divorce work. So, so what made you want to do that form of law? Well, actually I didn't know what I wanted to do when I went to law school. I didn't really actually know why I was there to be honest. (laughs) I, I went and I signed, you know, I applied and I got in and I didn't have a lot of guidance because I didn't, my family really didn't go to call. I didn't have anybody to look like I didn't have an aunt or an uncle or an older brother or somebody that was in law school. So I was kind of navigating on my own. And I thought, well, I'm just going to go. And then when I got there, everybody there is really smart, like everybody. <laughs> and I went from feeling like I was pretty smart, knew what I was doing to why am I here? and <laughs> What am I doing? And that's how I felt probably my first year of law school. It's your hardest. And then the second year, you can start choosing electives like you can in college. You have, of course, subjects you have to take, but then you can choose. And I chose a couple of family law classes. And I loved my professor. In fact, she just retired last year. And I loved her. And she got me really interested in family law. And so every chance I had to take an elective, I took something in juvenile law or family law or something like that. So when I got out, I had an interest in that. And then the first job I had in this law firm, they came in like the second week I was there and said, how do you feel about family law? I was like, well, I like family law. I took a lot of courses. And they said, okay, you're going to do the family law for the firm. And I went, okay. And, and <laughs> there I just, go. there you go. And that's how I got into it. And then um, once I started working in that area, I absolutely loved it because um, I had my own cases. I had my own clients. Um, pre-COVID years ago, you went to court all the time. And I loved being in the courtroom. 
And that was kind of what I wanted to do. And I felt like I was having an impact, you know, on families. And it just, it's turned out to be an amazing career for me. Sounds like it. How much, uh, I, I, when I said I've been in a courtroom once, physically, I watch a lot of court TV shows. Yeah, that's uh, not court. So that's what I was going to ask. Like that how, is not that's court. Reality so there's, there's probably a lot of people, like, I'm not talking like the Judge Judy's, but like, yeah. um, I watch Bull. Mm-hmm. And how different is, like, the court processes and everything like that? Because there's probably people listening to this that, I mean, having spent as much time in court as I have. Right. So, um, what? So... You know, the the reality shows are definitely not court. The yeah, reality I, courtroom shows are really not court at all. I thought I mean, those were a little over You the don't top. talk over each other. You're not disrespectful to, you know, anybody else that's in the, I mean, you should not be disrespectful to anybody else that's in, in the courtroom. You're definitely not disrespectful to the judge. Um, but some of those shows, uh, the ones I think that are more criminal-based are um, somewhat of reflection of court. You know, as far as procedurally what happens in court, they probably are. But So would you say, does family stuff get really crazy with, like, cases and things like that you have, or does it stay pretty? So when I was a litigator, I would, clients would come in and they would tell me what was going on, and I just thought, you can't make this shit up. Like, really? <laughs> this is what's happening? And you know, I just go, wow. Um, and so we call those the Jerry Springer shows, mm. the Jerry Springer mm. cases. Nice. Uh, and I don't do Jerry Springer anymore. <laughs> but when you're a new lawyer, you're, you're taking pretty much everything that walks in the door because you're trying to build your clientele. You want business. You're trying to build your hours, you know, meet your quotas for revenue. And so you take a lot of different things, but over time, just like any, any business that you're in, as you become more successful, you can become more selective about the type of cases that you take and even the the type of areas that you want to be in. And, and so over time I've become very selective about my clientele (laughs) and what I do and hours I work, that type of thing. So I'm ignorant to the terms. What's the difference between litigation and mediation? Like what is so lit, so litigation is an adversarial vibe to the case. Both parties okay. have lawyers. Um, there's depositions. There's interrogatories. There's document productions. There's subpoenas. So this is um, probably what most people think about when they think of that. Court. Is what they think about That's, because up until the last probably 15 years, that was your only choice was a litigated case or a contested case. Now, most of those settle, like 90% of those cases settle, but not until you've done all this work, depositions and document productions and all that kind of thing. And sometimes actually in the courthouse and you're finally settling your case. That's a litigated case. Mediation is where couples say, you know, our marriage is not working. We've been through therapy. We've done all these things. We want to divorce but we want to do it in a respectful way. We want to be thoughtful. We've got kids. We know we're still going to be together forever because we have children. And we just want to sit down and figure it out. And that's what I do now. So couples come in or now we do it on Zoom. Pre-COVID, now we now we do everything post-COVID on Zoom too, um, for the most part. Uh, but then I just sit down with couples and we figure it out. And it's thoughtful, it's, thoughtful, it's kind. So it's you, you, the couple, maybe they're... 
another lawyer and you're just sometimes like there's no lawyers sometimes like, there's no lawyers it's just a couple in me because i am a lawyer but i don't give legal advice as a mediator but yeah they'll just come in and sit down or we'll do a zoom call and we gather all their financial information so i know what it is we're talking about and we navigate through how to just distribute that between them in an equitable way and then we talk about the kids if they've got kids we talk about the kids and what they want to do for parenting time and how that's going to look. And then I draft all their paperwork for them and I help them get through the court system. That sounds a lot less stressful. Litigation. Way less stressful yeah. for me and for them. Sure. And does, for them. Does it ever happen where that starts and then it ends up going back to litigation side? Um, occasionally. Uh, not very often. Usually that happens when one of a cup, one party, one spouse really wants mediation. The other one is on the fence about it. And then they get in and then they're like, yeah, I don't want to do it this way because I feel like it's not going in the direction they wanted or something. And usually when it starts, that starts happening, I encourage them to consult with an attorney because a lot of times they want to get out of the process because they think it's not aligning the way they want, but the way they want it to align sometimes isn't realistic. And so I'm like, mm-hmm. why don't you go consult with an attorney and talk about where you are in this conversation? Because I feel like most of the time that lawyer is going to say, no, you're on track and this is kind of where you'll end up. So go back, go back to mediation and get it done. Yeah. That's where I feel like probably my parents got divorced when I was young Mm -hmm. and it was one of those things that if you put them in a room, room, they'd probably fist fight. It took like four (laughs) years of court to get it all done, but it was just like that, that was something that like that, the process of what I saw and, yeah. Now it's like people I don't just want like, that. No, now people are like, hey, I talked to so and so. We're just like divvying up and we're good to roll. Yep. But it's, I feel like there's a lot of different avenues that that can take. That's, that's got to be hard on the kids, too. It, it can like, be hard on the kids. I mean, so now mediation is an option. In most counties, it's a requirement that you go to at least a couple hours of mediation before you can get a court date for those that are in that contested track. So there's a lot more support from the court, too, for alternative dispute. Because the courts don't want those cases either, really. They really want parents to figure out how they want to parent their kids and co-parent and make decisions. And and uh, it's not really for the judges to decide. But they'll say, look, if you can't figure it out, I'm happy to make those decisions for you. But they're usually not what the couple wanted. But at that point, it's too late because yep. they put it in the hands of the judge. So, um, So practicing law. You, mm-hmm. you have a firm now? I do. And where's your firm located? In Overland Park. In Overland Park? Yep. I'm pretty oh. much Johnson County, Kansas. That's where where most of my clientele is now. Gotcha. I, I started out on the Missouri side because that's where I went to law school and I got my I got my bar license in Missouri first and then I took the Kansas bar second and started out on the Missouri side and then about, I don't know, eight or ten years in, I... Moved my office just on the other side of state line, and then I was in Kansas, and then I started getting more Kansas cases. What I found was, which is interesting, if you were in Missouri, Missouri folks would go to Missouri office or a Kansas office, but if it was a Kansas case, they were not coming over to Missouri to a Missouri office. Isn't that crazy? True, but crazy. Yeah, it's same with marketing. <clears throat> is it? Yeah, when we were yeah. at Northland, somebody from Johnson County, if you told them you were from Liberty, you, they go where? <laughs> you might as well have been at the Iowa board. Right. And I hear you. <laughs> now, now we're in the river market. Oh yeah. We'll drive right over there. I'm like, I know. Isn't it crazy? Location yeah. is just so crazy. Yeah. So I moved over literally across the state line. I was at 
92nd and War Parkway, and I moved over to 80th and State Line on the Kansas side, and then I started getting Kansas business, and then my business just started shifting more to Kansas, less to Missouri, and then I moved over to College Boulevard, and um, I've been kind of in that quadrant of College of Metcalf for the last 20-some years, and now my practice is probably 85% Kansas. Okay. So... So when did you open your practice? I, I've known you for a long time. and I In 87 is when I started practicing. Um, when I opened my own office was in 92. Okay. And I've had my own. It's I've been a, a sol- solo practitioner, sole practitioner my whole career, up, except for the first few years when I first got out of law school. I worked for a couple of different firms. What's the, what do you think the biggest hurdle was, biggest obstacle to take on opening your own practice? Fear that the phone was never going to ring and leaving a practice and leaving a whole set of clients behind and basically starting over again. Cause I had a clientele with the firm I was with. And then when I left, just like anything else, you can't take your clients with you. They have to decide to come. Mm-hmm. They can't do a non-compete cause it's a client's choice, but it is tricky when you're leaving a firm and doing something else, but it all worked out. You know, it worked out great. It was the right decision for me at the time to go out on my own and I have never looked back. So in 92, you open up a new law practice. Mm-hmm. How did one acquire clients at that time? So word of mouth, okay. referrals from other clients. And then I had quite a few clients that did come with me. That said, we hired her, not the firm. Yeah. We're going with her. So. so just pretty much word of mouth and mm-hmm. just letting it roll. Yep. Yep. I feel like that's the crazy thing about like the opportunity that we have mm-hmm. nowadays. Yeah. Like nowadays, like you, you can open anything as long as you can get the exposure out there. Absolutely. And eyeballs on something. It's uh-huh. like, it can blow up overnight. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's very different back then. And that yeah. I've talked to my dad about, it. I'm like, how did you like, I don't even know how to wrap my mind around like with the tools that we have now. I'm like, right. How'd you do this without like, oh, like what I, did I you do? Like, I don't know. I don't even know. When you say, what do you do? And I'm like, you know, I don't remember. I just remember borrowing money to open my own practice. I had, well, Stephen's brother, Joe, yeah, I was gonna my say, older yeah, son. That was around the time. He was a baby. He was one. And then I opened my office in 92. And then I had Stephen in 93. So I had these two babies. And you had all the things happening. All that stuff happening. And, and that's honestly why I went out and I went on my own because I already had my son, Joe. I, I knew I wanted to have more children and I just, for me, it worked better to have the flexibility of being self-employed than meeting the demands and expectation of a firm that, you know, they have certain criteria and, and certain thresholds they want you to meet in your billable hours. And I just thought, I, I, I can't do, I'm not going to do that. I'm not, that's not going to be my lifestyle as a, as a mom yeah, and having kids. Makes sense. So, so then what year did, the farm come into play. So the farm, I, Oh, this is wild and crazy. So the farm I bought in 2007. Oh, so it wasn't that crazy long ago. Well, it's been a minute. I think it it had to have been brand new then when I met Steven. Yeah. Cause I had moved up there. I was yeah, living North. Right. They were the trying river. to find new laborers at the time. We were trying to, <laughs> yeah, we, were, yeah. we were, we were shooting for child labor. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm kidding. Go meet some new friends. Elizabeth, <laughs> Elizabeth's <laughs> like meet some seventh graders and they need to come, and work, they need to come work at the farm. Yeah. yeah. No, I bought the farm in 2007, right before the market crashed. So I had been volunteering at this, at this rescue 
that I met the couple that started it through my church, loved what they were doing. I'd grown up with horses and it was a horse rescue. It's where I was volunteering. And I was like, I love what they're doing, but they didn't have the right infrastructure to expand the, the rescue and you know, make it more than it was at the time. And so I said to this couple, I said, I love what you're doing. I, I want to find a place for you to operate out of. And they're like, they were renting, leasing a place. And they're like, seriously? And I go, yeah, I do. I want to do this. And so it took me a couple of years to find my property. And then what I found the property, I bought it. And then within like six months, there was a smaller barn that we were going to run the rescue out of. They moved the rescue in. And then the upper barn, which is where the horse boarding facility is, that was the for-profit side of the business. And about six months into it, they go, you know, this is more work than we thought it was going to be. And so we don't think we really want to do the rescue anymore. And I'm thinking, uh, I'm going, really? Okay, then. Well, we'll just regroup. So I kept the rescue and really had it going up until COVID. And it turned out to be amazing. We got a different board and we started doing mark because we started doing marketing about our rescue. We started getting funding and grants and really became a pretty cool operation for many, many years. And then I had my horse boarding facility on this. That was really the for-profit that supported the property. And then when COVID started, it was hard for us to fundraise. And I don't know, the timing just seemed like it was time to just kind of wind that down. So now we don't have the rescue anymore. Yeah, Drew. Yeah. I, I really think that the the free seventh graders was the key to the whole thing. Well, free, you know, good child labor. She's you can like, never you know go wrong with yeah. that. You She's know? like, now my kids have grown up. I don't have all that child labor. I don't know what to do now. Like, I know, right? <laughs> I think it's time we wind it down. So Steven it. and all of his little football buddies, they would all come over and they would be fencing and painting and, you know, we'd pay yeah. them and then give them pizza and... Everybody loves a good pizza party. Dinners. I know. Yeah, the, the dinners, dinners and cook out. We cook out and grill and... I don't know, Dalton. Do you think it was fun? I mean, honestly, did you think it was fun time? Uh, I, yeah, I I I, I worked uh, for you in high school too. I know you did. Like I know, I know. Uh, off and on. Yeah, yeah, you know, and it's been a great job. Years. It's been a great thing for my family because I have three other children too, and my daughter was an equestrian and she rode and showed and trained horses and did lessons and stuff. And then the the four boys have always worked at the farm in some capacity through their childhood and in and out of job, you know, between jobs. I'll call, go, mom, can I come back? I work at the farm. Sure, come back. And so everybody's been on and off payroll all through the years, including a lot of my kids' friends. Yeah. In between jobs, not sure what they're doing. You know, even if they just come out and work for a month, I'm good with that. Two weeks, I don't care. You know, there's so much to do out there all the time. How big is the farm? It's only 10 acres, oh. but it's it's in the city. It's, out right well one of the perimeters of my property is city limit kansas city i'm obviously on the other side platte county rural we're zoned agricultural but quick trips around the corner it's uh if you're going oh, down yeah. berry road past park hill and it's i don't know probably a mile past mm-hmm. park hill you take gotcha. a left it's back up in there we can hear the drum corps on friday nights and the football <laughs> games and everybody cheering because we're kind of behind park hill but you have to wind around mm-hmm. And there's actually three barns back on that road. Crazy yeah, enough, is, three yeah. horse boarding facilities back there. Yeah. Oh. So I don't. I think a lot of people discount the amount of work that goes into taking care of horses. Oh, it's, it's a yeah, lot it, of work. Yeah, it's a lot of work. First-hand account, I can attest. <laughs> it is. It's fun. It's not. It's not that. I mean, it's not horrible. Though. I mean, they eat a lot and they shit a lot. They do. 
Like, they do. You, you know what? My True least story. favorite thing. <laughs> what was your least favorite thing, Dalton? Was painting. You hated to paint? I'll do anything. I just hate painting. Well, we're going to have a big paint party soon. We're going to be <laughs> sure and hit you up. I think I'm going to be out of town. Yeah, you're sure you're going <laughs> to be busy yeah. that weekend. No, I, I yeah. don't mind doing the fencing, putting yeah. the fencing up, putting the hot wire up. But you're going to be doing fence, some of that too. Painting the fence yeah. sucks. Well, the thing about horses, it's like anything, any uh, industry that has live animals, there's never a day off. Yeah. It's 365, doesn't matter whether it's a holiday or not, doesn't matter if it's two degrees out, doesn't matter if there's two inches of ice. Mm -hmm. You have to get to the barn and feed the horses. You have to. Yeah. So that's the thing about caring for live animals. You can't just phone it in and say, can't be there today. Let's put it, let's turn on for the auto answer on the phone with the (laughs) wrist. You know, you can't do that. You have to get there. So So, out of doing... Actually, let's go into the family aspect. Now we've hit family. You hit, you hit the the law. You've hit the mm. the farm <laughs> and family. Family. So it all started when getting your firm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you were sharing sharing some information before we started. Yeah, about my yeah. other little darlings. Yeah. So I have five kids, and so Joe and Stephen, brothers. That's who Dalton knows the best. Mm-hmm. And then um, I also have three children that were adopted from Russia as older children. So my younger two sons, Brett and Will, are biological brothers. And um, they came over on a host program through the church. And they stayed with, with me for six weeks in the summer. And I wanted to see, they were kind of staggered in ages with Joe and Stephen, if they would connect and would this work if I were to adopt these kids. And it did. Um, they, even though they spoke no English, and none of us spoke Russian, it worked for six weeks enough to tell that they could hang out together, they could have fun together, it would be okay. Not they weren't throwing things at each other. So I thought that was a good sign. How old were they when they came? <clears throat> so they were five and seven when I met them, and they were seven and nine when they came over. And this was before Kate. <clears throat> this was before Kate. Kate. Okay. And so it took two years to do their adoption. Well, in the middle of their adoption, when I went over to Russia, I met Kate or my daughter, she was 11 and it took two years to do her adoption. And so when she came over, she was 13. And so the, the kids are all staggered in ages. So Joe's my oldest and he's 31. And then Stephen and Kate are 29. They're about six weeks apart. And then Brett's 26 and Will's 24. So, and so Stephen and Kate are very close in age. So they went to school yeah. together. Yeah. I went to school with Kate and, too. And Dalton went to school with Kate and Stephen reminds Kate all the time that he's the oldest. <laughs> always, he always reminds her that he's older than her. Um, but it's been it's was great. I mean, the kids all blended together, and they all get along, and they're so, all tight. So what what made <clears throat> you say, hey, you know what, I want to want to I want to adopt? Yeah. Like- so my husband at the time did not have any children of his own, and he wanted children, but I didn't want to physically have any more kids. So I said, well, I would be open to adopting if you want to adopt. He's like, yeah, let's do that. And then this program came up with our church, and I thought, well, that makes sense because then the kids are not so far apart in age. And I didn't want to start with infants when I had kids that were 12 and 10. And so that's kind of why we went with adopting older kids. And they're harder to adopt. And I knew that from being in the family law area for as many years as I've been in it, that, you know, everybody wants the newborns. Everybody wants the babies one-year-olds, two-year-olds, and you see those movies. And it's true. 
you know, the kids that are in the orphanages, when they get to be older, it's like the likelihood of them being adopted is much harder. And I was like, I just want to do that. I just want to do that. You know, and, and my daughter would be the one most open to talking about that because she really remembers being there where Brett and Will sort of remember Will hardly at all. Brett somewhat, but he doesn't really talk too much about it. But Kate is always like, oh my gosh, mom, I am so grateful. I am so blessed because had you not adopted me, when I am would have turned 18, they just turned them out. Like, here you go. Here you go. They the give them of- a set of clothes basically and there you go. And they're literally, the girls are out on the street. The boys go into the military in Russia. That's what happens. And they were in a home in Moscow? Mm-hmm. Right outside Moscow. of Moscow. So it's like, a, they call it a children's home because everyone, almost all the kids in there were sibling groups. Kate was not. I don't know why. There was a few in there like her that were not a, a sibling group, but most of them were sibling groups. And the goal was to try to keep those kids together and place them. Yeah. So it'd be like similar to foster care system in the U.S., I feel like that'd be like the hardest thing ever to go in like all these kids and be like, Hey, you know what? You're all coming with me. Let's roll. I know. I wanted more. There was this little girl named Lisa and I wanted her too. She was adorable. And Bruce, my husband at the time, he's like, these are not puppies. We are not coming home with a litter. We're sticking with the ones we've agreed to. But it's so, also like when you look at that, that you look at somebody's life mm-hmm. that has like that you can change everything about it. Right. That I right. think that would be like the hardest thing that I'm like, yeah, no, I don't have to drive a nice car. I'd way rather give this person a good life yeah. and bring it back home with me. Like whatever. Like, yeah. I feel like that'd be, I wouldn't have the tough enough skin to go do that. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so that was kind of cool and they're, they're great kids and they've done really well. And, um, Kate served in the air force for the U S and Very my cool. younger son will served in the Navy, which I think it's pretty interesting that they're, you know, come to the U S become U S citizens and then serve. I think that's yeah. very cool. I know. I think that's super cool. Yeah. So so I didn't know them when they were younger. Yeah. Like, how was the adjustment for them? Just um, You know, it was interesting. It's just like, you know how some people are just good with languages. They're just good with it. My younger son, Will, was great. He mm-hmm. picked up the English so fast, but he was seven. Yeah. And he picked it up really fast. Brett, it took a little bit longer, but part of it's his personality. You know Brett. Yeah. He's quiet. Mm-hmm. He doesn't talk a lot. He's shy. So it took him a little bit longer to, I think, immerse. Um, Kate came over probably knowing the most English, but that's because she knew she was coming. Oh, she was studying. And she was studying a lot. When Once she knew she was coming, suddenly English became much more important to her. English class became much more important <laughs> yeah. to her. And so when she came over, she knew conversational English. So... You know, there were adjustments in other ways, like the food is very different. Um, so that was different for them. They were used to really bland food. And so they still don't like spicy. The kids don't like a lot of spice because they didn't grow up with that. But so. is, was it because the home life they came from wasn't like that or like the orphanage they were at? Just The food in general in Russia oh. is very bland. So know it's that. very bland, unless you go to really high end places, which that was not them or where they were, how they lived. And, you know, cause a lot of families and homes over there, they don't even have refrigerators. So they go to market every day oh, wow. and buy things. And so they're like a grocery store over there would be the size of a quick trip. 
like what we think of as a high V or price hopper, it'd be a quick trip. And so instead of 10 boxes of cereal to choose from, there might be two. And then there would be like a lot of fresh vegetables. There might be a couple choices on milk. I mean, it's like a quick trip, but that was the grocery store. And so anything that was refrigerated was in that store, but then you would take it home and you'd have to use it like soon because there would be most of the time no refrigeration in the homes. I do feel like that's something that's like different about, I mean, Europe in general. Yeah. The whole continent over Mm -hmm. there is like we went to Spain and like, you don't get ice cubes and things. No, Yeah, there's no No ice cubes. Everything's tap water. It's, Room temperature. Yeah, it's, the yeah. beer. Yeah. They, have, they sell beer room temperature. Yes. I'm like, where's the cold beer at? Like, no, no, cold, no beer. cold beer. Like, yeah. Or in walking what are you about? and you walk everywhere. Yeah. So like in Russia, hardly anybody has a car. You're walking everywhere to the store back. I mean, they'll go to market a couple times a day and walk. And, um, you know, when they came here and it's like, you drive everywhere, you drive everywhere. And that was unusual for them, yeah. you know, and being in a car and driving everywhere. It's just the luxuries of, mm-hmm. That they didn't even know Hot water, existed. you know, refrigerators. Well, it was interesting because when I first adopted them, um, our caseworker said, because I had little closets full of clothes for them and all these little tennis shoes and got them all set up when they come back. And she said, in the beginning, just set out a couple outfits. Let them choose from two, two outfits. If you give them a closet, they will just, they won't know what, they won't know what to do. It's too just much. Overwhelming for them. It's too much because they didn't even own their own clothes in the orphanage. Nothing they had there was theirs. The only thing that was theirs was their toothbrush, literally. Um, and so that's how we started out, a couple outfits at a time, and then, you know, expand. And then now they have no problem. <laughs> They're acclimated to America as adults. But, yeah, one, some things like that. One observation about them, like you said, they're staggered in age. Mm-hmm. I think this may just be my observation and may not be true, but I feel like Kate, being the oldest, like mm-hmm. retained the most accent. Yes. And then Brett and then Will yes. being the youngest. Yeah, yeah, you're least. right about that. Like, I don't think I can hear any of it in Will, any uh-huh. kind of accent. I haven't spoke to Kate in a long time. but Yeah. You know, Every once in a while, you'll hear a tinge of it. Yeah. You'll hear a tinge of the accent. And Brett, too, a little bit. Mm-hmm. If he gets, you know, riled up about something, yeah, he's yeah, had yeah. a couple beers. <laughs> All of a sudden, you hear a little tinge of an accent. Uh-huh. And that's funny you say that because Kate used to always say when she would come home from school, she'd get so frustrated. And she goes, I'm so tired of people asking me where I'm from. That really makes me mad because she fully wanted to be, you know, yeah. she's American or whatever. And she say, that makes me mad when they ask me where I'm, where I'm from. And I said, well, just tell them you're from Parkville because that's where <laughs> I lived at the time. And she just started laughing. She goes, I'm going to say that from now on. So, yeah, I, I know in high school and middle school, she did. You, yeah. She still fully like had the accent. Yes, she did. Probably not now, but yeah, I have a. Uh- a good buddy of mine that they came, him and his brother, their whole family came over during in the nineties, late nineties when the war in Croatia was going on. Oh yeah. And it was, he was young enough that he doesn't have an accident. If you met him, you wouldn't know his older brother, which is pretty heavy. I, I don't even, I'm trying to think of how far apart they are. They don't look that. They I want to, I want to say like four years apart, mm-hmm. but his older brother is like every heavy accent. Yeah. Crazy yeah. heavy. And when they got here, the clothes deal, they didn't speak English and they can't. So Kansas city was actually like a hot spot for a lot of creation people coming. Uh huh. And one of their friends from there also came and he was, I think he came over and he was in like, he was maybe like a freshman or sophomore in high school. And they went to 
uh, Goodwill. That's like where they got all their clothes when they got here. Right. And they just picked out anything that fit. They didn't know what was the difference between like men's and women's clothes. Oh my gosh. And he goes, he goes to like sophomore year of high school, speaks zero English. He's wearing a shirt that says number one cheerleader. Oh my gosh. But, that is funny. And the, my buddy, he's like, yeah, school. He's like, when we first got here, it was rough. Like, yeah, not speaking English and mm-hmm. adapting to it. I know. I remember that with the kids, we actually hired a guy named Vasily. I don't even know where Vasily is now, but his mom was at Park University and they were from, um, not Russia, just a country close by. But anyway, he spoke Russian and we had him come over like two or three days a week after school just to converse with the kids because we were, you know, just trying to navigate through what they needed, what they wanted. We're trying to speak English and Russian and, and we could not have done that for quite a while without him coming over and talking to the kids. Yeah. But, you know, people that I think carry their accents from their countries, a lot of it depends on they come over as a family. The family comes over. And so at home, they're still speaking their native language. Yeah. And then they're speaking English. I think those people continue to carry their accent longer because they're still speaking their native language. Versus like adopting a child and bringing him into your home. And then he's fully immersed into American culture and they don't ever hear their language again. They lose their accent. They tend to lose their accent more. So, and for Kate, when she was in the air force, she didn't tell them for the longest time that she spoke fluent Russian. She never told them that. And then finally she did. And then they wanted her to do some stuff related to Russian translation because she could still read Russian and stuff like that. And she said that what was interesting to her is she hadn't spoken in so long that she was having trouble speaking, but she could understand it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she said the the more she heard Russian, she could totally understand what they were saying. But she goes, then mom, she goes like, it was mental gymnastics in my mind. I go, okay, now what am I trying to say? Cause she wanted to speak English and the, the verbiage coming back to her was a little bit harder. Sure. Which I think that's just, I'm, working on learning a second language right now. And the way that I'm not, I don't know how terminology to use on the way that they put a sentence together. Isn't even the same. Uh, It's not, not at all. Like the the nouns and verbs are switched. Yeah. Everything. It's all like jumbled up that if you could, if you translate it to English, I'm like, that makes no sense. Right. If somebody said that, you'd be like, what? What? I know. Right. So like, no, it's like, it goes this way all the time. So like when you're saying it, I'm like, why? Right. <laughs> that was the same thing with uh, Pedro. Uh, we have we have a custom shop that we work with. Uh-huh. We do like social media videos for him. Okay. And uh, he does Spanish ones. Okay. They're an independence. And he's like, 90 days, same as cash. Like the whole video is Spanish. And he says, 90 days, same as cash financing. And he's like, I just don't know how to say that in Spanish. It doesn't really. Translate. Translate. Yeah. And I'm like, well, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. Well, no. Well, and I think when you're in the country you're in and you, when you're traveling, if you're doing a second language to travel, I think you'll find that when you're in the country, the more you hear the language, you know what they're saying. Because I found that I went to Russia six times through this adoption process, and I found that every time I was over there, which was anywhere from seven to ten days, the longer I was there, the more I could understand what, like my daughter, I could understand what they were saying, but I didn't know enough Russian to converse very well. I knew enough to tell them, I don't know very much Russian, can you help, you know? And once they felt like I was trying to speak their language. This is what I, my experience was. I was trying to speak their language. 
I knew a little bit enough to try to tell them what I was trying to say. They were very helpful. Like I remember in a store one time, I was in the store trying to find some, I remember what I was trying to buy. I couldn't find it. This woman came up and asked me in Russian if I needed help. And I was trying to tell her, I don't speak very much English, but this is what I'm looking for. We were kind of going back and forth. And then all of a sudden she goes, oh. She knew, She figured out what I was trying to say. She just took my hand and she led me over <laughs> to where it was in the store and she pointed it. And she's like, and I was like, yeah, Das, yes, this is what I'm looking for. Thank, thank you. I, I can't remember what thank you is now, but I, you know, it was just funny. And I think that that's the case when I run into people in the U.S., foreigners that are trying to speak and I can tell they don't know very much English and I can try to figure out what they're saying. They're trying to talk to me in English. I'm more willing to go, Okay, let me try to figure this out because yeah. I want to help you, especially if they're lost mm-hmm. or you see somebody in an airport. That's the one that always just like you go, oh, like they're trying to figure out where your gate is or, and you're just like, I want to help you. Yeah. Like, where, where, show me your ticket, you know? And I'm like, oh, it's down here or whatever. Because I think the panic and sheer terror, you're in an airport in a foreign country, you don't speak the language and you're trying to figure out where you're going. And I, I think a lot of times people come here and the difference is like when we went to Spain, when we were in the airport, a very high percentage of the people speak English. Yes. We went to ho- the hotels. Most of the time oh, we found they, somebody. They spoke, spoke. I think they spoke like every, like, yeah, we went to one of the hotels. Six languages. Yeah. The like, ladies like the we speak. Uh, people. So it was like, it was pretty common to find people that spoke English. Yes. In those areas. Someone comes here that speaks a different language. It's not like we all just go, what? You know, we also serve the benefit of uh, foreign countries always have like English signs too. Yeah. yeah. We don't always have like Spanish, French, German, <laughs> right. Russian signs. Right. Well, when everywhere. you're in Europe, they do speak multiple languages because they have to. Yeah. yeah. There's all, you know, all the countries are so tight there that it would be unusual if you didn't speak two or three languages over right. there. And you're right. We just, Americans, sadly, were like. I don't, and Dan, Dan and I didn't really give much effort into speaking <laughs> the Spanish. So we got the uh, translate apps on our yes. phone. Yes. So we would, we literally just speak in our phone and then they would like say it out. And they then they'd go, oh. And then Is that the coolest thing ever? <laughs> yeah. I discovered that when Kate came over and we were trying to do translation. At the time, I don't think it was audio though, but you could type it. Mm-hmm. And we would sit at the computer to try to help her with her homework. And then I found this where I could type and then it would translate to English a Russian. Then she could read it. And then she typed and we were doing this thing back and forth because she was immersed in like seventh or eighth grade. And it was like, they were showing my girl, no mercy. It's like, you're here. You just got to figure it out. And she would come home and cry. And then Steven would try to help her. Then he would get frustrated. And you know, she, but she was 13. She was 13. Mm -hmm. I think she came in eighth grade. Think about how much easier that translate app would have helped. Right. <laughs> but what I'm saying, by high school, she was like completely fluent. Oh, she was fluent English. by the end of like within a matter of months. Because I, I really don't remember Kate not yeah. being. She was fluent, fluent within probably three or four months. I, I remember the accent, now. but I don't remember her. She not, had the accent, but she could speak it. Yeah. I don't remember her not. I don't remember not being able to communicate mm-hmm. with her ever. Oh, gosh. I remember. <laughs> I don't know if I should tell the story or not about the kids, <laughs> but the boys. Um, we went when well, we lived in Riss Lake and something happened with one of the kids up the street and this little kid got mad at them and, but he didn't understand that they didn't speak any English. I know something happened. And then the dad came down and said something to me. It was kind of snarky. And I said, look, these, my boys don't even speak English. I'm not sure what happened up there, but don't be judgy. And they could tell the boys could tell the 
dad was angry at me and he went back up the street and they lived on the corner. And so then after that, every time we would drive by the cover of the corner, they would say Dorosh or Darosh or something like that. <laughs> and I'm thinking, huh, okay. And I would just we drive by and they'd look over and they'd say these words and I'd go, okay. It was then and then Kate gets here, my daughter, and after she's more fluent in her English and we're coming by one day and the kids yell that out and she goes, Mom, do you know what they're saying? And I go, No, what are they saying? She goes, Well, it's it's not very nice. It's kind of a cuss word. And I go, Really? Well, what are they saying? She goes, They're saying asshole. <laughs> and I go, What? And then I'm like, to the boys, I speak English at the time, but I said, Seriously? That's what you guys have been saying this whole time? And they're laughing. They're thinking it's so funny. It's like, Mom doesn't is- even understand. I know. And I thought, What are they saying? And I thought, How many other things have been going on? And even between the boys when they would, argue with each other in Russian, I'm thinking they're probably doing the verbal smackdown yeah. towards each other. And I don't even know what they're saying. I don't even know who's winning here. <laughs> I don't know. Right. I don't know who's winning. I don't know what they're saying, but yeah, it was probably not very good. And so then that would come up and they'd start arguing. Kate would go, mom, do you want to know what they're saying? I go, no, not really. No. <laughs> no. It adds no value. I don't know. I just tell him to stop. <laughs> just tell him to stop. <laughs> just tell him to stop. So. Yeah, that's a, uh... I think it's it's always cool hearing those those stories of people coming over here and every, I think it's yeah. phenomenal that you you did that for them. Thank you. And they would awesome. they would say they thought it was phenomenal too. So and they're doing and they're great kids. I mean they're yeah. all yeah. doing their thing. They've got jobs. They support themselves. You know it's not like they're on government welfare or anything like that. They're both, they're all killing. All of the kids are. They're you know the funny great. thing is most of the people that. I've met that like have came over here from a foreign country are so thankful for the opportunities that they mm-hmm. have. Yeah. And then you have American people here that like, yeah. they think everything's against them and they're a victim 24 seven. I'm like, yes. Yeah. What's yeah. up with that? Yeah. I'm like, you know, these yeah. people come over from nothing, right? Literally nothing, literally nothing, nothing. And they we had to take clothes over yeah. to change them into, to bring them home. And the, the sad thing is it's like our generation. Yeah, our generation's yeah. pretty bad. Our generation is the one that like they think they're owed something if they get a degree from if they get a piece of paper from a college and then like they're owed something crazy now. Yeah, and it's you have these foreign people that come over that just outwork them. Yeah, and then oh. they want to complain about it. And it's like right. and they're they getting get the an, same twenty four hours we are. They get yeah. an opportunity that they otherwise would not have gotten. Yeah. Right where they were. So I was talking to somebody I can't remember the other day about going to Russia. And just about what you were talking about, about how this is to me, I wouldn't want to live anywhere but the United States. And I remember every time I came back from Russia, even though they were nice to us when we were there, we had translators and guides and everything. I literally wanted to kiss the ground. Literally. When I got off the plane, I was so glad to be back in the United (laughs) States because the freedom we have here, the opportunities we have here, it's, you're not going to find that anyplace else in the world. You just don't, you don't have that. You know, the right to go to school if you want to, to choose your job, to decide how many children you want to have. There's countries that control that for you. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> or jobs that women can have that, you know, here a woman can do anything they want in the U.S. That is not the case in other countries. And it's like, people, why are you complaining about yeah. being in this country? Literally. Uh, I don't get it. It baffles <clears throat> me. It, it truly does. And I think that's just people opening up their eyes to what's in front of them. Mm-hmm. And I think it's funny how many people here think that the grass is greener on the other side somewhere else. <clears throat> well, people 
think that about marriage too. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I'm so busy. <laughs> That's why I'm so, people always think it's greener. They get in a rough patch in their marriage and they think the grass is greener on the other side. And I tell them it is not. You think it is. It's not. It's yeah. the same thing. It's just with somebody different. I, I can't even imagine the, the crazy conversations that you've been involved in probably. Yeah. That Lots. She's just like, yeah. Yeah. Well, it was crazier when I was doing litigation, honestly. I mean, in the mediation world, you know, people that come in are so thoughtful. They really do want to sit down and work things out and they want to remain on a good in a good in a good vibe with their ex, especially if they have children. Because you're co parent for the rest the rest of your life. You're co parenting your kids, even as adults. Is that becoming more common? I would like to say it's definitely on the rise. Mediation and, and collaborative divorce is, de- is definitely on the rise. And that's because people really, most people don't want to fight. They don't want to be in that environment, you know? Uh, correct me if I'm, I'm wrong. Are divorce rates rising? Um, yes and no. Okay. Yes, they are in a sense no, they aren't because not as many people are getting married. Okay. So for I think the percentage is probably consistent as far as people getting married that are divorcing. About 50% of people get that get married get divorced. But the divorce numbers probably are flatlined a little bit because so many people are not getting married now. Yeah. I mean, they're cohabitating. They're having children together, but they're not getting married. And so when those people break up, it's not a divorce. Yeah. They're just yeah. uncoupling. It's not a stat. It's not a stat. Yeah. That makes sense. So, Cause I yeah. feel like yeah. there's people, I mean, we know a lot of people we've went to college with that got married and already divorced. Mm-hmm. That it's the first seven years are the hardest. Yeah. You hear the seven year itch. There's truth to that. But the first seven years of a marriage are the hardest primarily because one, you're trying to, if you haven't lived together, which more people live together now before they get married, that, didn't used to happen. So sometimes you can figure out in the first couple of years of your marriage or of living together, no, I want to marry this person. And like- a lot of times you decide in those first years, you don't want to marry, but if you get married, then usually the next step is then you're having children. You have two or three kids. You've got two or three kids, you know, under eight years, six or seven years old. It's a grind, especially if you're both working. So you're both working. You're trying to take care of kids. Suddenly there's no time for the marriage. Because you're focused on these little kids and taking care of them and running them to activities and doing all those things. And then everybody gets worn out and you're thinking, yeah, this is not, I didn't think this is what it was going to be. So you start looking, people start looking. Then you think, oh, I like this person over here. Okay, well, this person over here has got kids too. And so now you're going to blend families and think that's going to be better than where you're at. Holy cow, we just duplicated. Now we got twice as many. <laughs> now you got twice as many. Now you got twice as many kids, and you're navigating two sets of parenting plans, another set of parent. It's craziness. It's truly craziness. That's why subsequent marriage is at a higher percentage of failing for those reasons. Because now you've got to integrate other ex exes and grandparents and trying to blend kids. Kids that don't like each other, kids that don't really want to be together. I think it also confuses kids a lot. Can confuse kids. Um, yep. I think that kids have a lot of confusion nowadays. And mm-hmm. I'm just saying from like watching from the outside. Mm-hmm. And I think people should have to almost live together before they get married. Mm-hmm. 
Because I think it's a good idea. You could decide before you get married if it's going to work. Well, that or you have a, you have a high prob- probability of knowing. Yeah, and that's I've right? lived with my fiance. I mean, we've been together for ten years. Yeah. So it's been a long time. Yeah. But it's like we met at eighteen years old. Right. We started living together mm-hmm. like in college, and then we bought a house, and like yeah, we've done every everything kind of backwards from the traditional way. Yeah. But it's we live and cohabitate very very well together. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, wrong with that there's, everybody's got to find their way there's some people i'm like i know this person i know that person and like they've never lived together and they're like we're gonna get married i'm like well that's not gonna go well yeah right <laughs> and then all of a sudden like two years later they're like oh yeah we're getting divorced i'm like i couldn't well because there's yeah. something there's something to be said for dating dating super fun you see each other a couple times a week you're kind of doing th- your thing on the side your vibe whatever your thing is and you're really happy to see that person when you see them two or three times a week. Then all of a sudden you're living 24 seven and it's just yeah, like, time off. wow, this is a lot. I, hmm, this is a lot. So what would you give as best? What would be your best advice? Oh, it <laughs> <laughs> depends. No, I would say I, I am a full supporter of living together before you get married. I really am. I just think that that is a good first step to assess the relationship. And if, you know, if it's going to work a lot, because a lot comes out in living together that maybe wasn't as evident or present when you're dating, like um, how much somebody drinks, for example. You know, you're out dating, you're out having fun, you're drinking, that's all fun. But maybe you move in with that person and you're like, oh my God, they drink every day. I thought it was just when we went out. I'm not sure I want to have kids with this person that drinks all the time as an example or yeah i knew she worked a lot because you know she's a lawyer (laughs) none of my kids are lawyers because they're like we do not want to work as hard as you do mom you work like you're a crazy person you work all the time but no you know so somebody has got this great job nice house cool cars you're thinking i like i like this guy well the reason he has all that stuff is because he works 70 hours a week you know but when you're dating you're like oh he's so into me and we've got all this time together but then when you move in you never see them. You're like, oh, all that time I was getting, I'm getting the same amount of time because all the rest of it was like. You're working, working. <laughs> right? So you don't know that unless you're living together. Yeah. And then suddenly you're like, and that goes both ways. I mean, because a lot of women, like I work a lot. Well, that doesn't always work for my partner that I work a lot. You know, well, if they lived with me, they would know I work a lot, right? Yeah. So I think living together is good. I think that um, if you're getting married later in life and you are established, you should have some very frank conversations on the front end of what this is going to look like when you get married financially. Um, Prenups are a good thing to do later in life when you're established, I think, Um, especially if you have children. Like, let's say it's a second marriage. I think prenups are something definitely to consider because you've done all this work to establish yourself, to create some legacy for your children, your children, and maybe they've got children and now you're going to get together and you're going to get married. Well, what's that going to look like for you, for your children, for him, for his children? And have some frank discussions about that. And I think sometimes people don't do that. They don't want to have those discussions because those are difficult ones. Versus doing that on the front end and making sure you align before you get married instead of getting married and then you start talking about it and you're not completely aligned and it's a dicier conversation because yeah. then people's feelings That's are hurt a lot more at stake than do mm-hmm. a lot more. Yeah. So 
what would you say? I feel like just from what I've seen over a lot of people mm-hmm. is finances tend to be a huge, huge factor. Finance, finances are a huge factor. That, yeah. And that's one of the biggest causes of the breakdown in marriage is finances. Finances and communication and infidelity. Those are the three biggies for causing divorces. Hmm. Because I always kind of thought, like, I've just watched how people run and operate finance-wise, like in marriages. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because people are normally very vocal about it. And people always are talking about things like that. I'm just like... Like I, I run my life way, way different. Like if mm-hmm. something was to happen, I was like, you know what? You like, we would always, we would split something straight down the middle, but we've never like, I've never had a, an, we've never had an argument since we've been together about money. And there was a point in college that we had nothing. Right. Like absolutely nothing with having nothing and then having a lot all of it. <laughs> yeah. It's just, yeah. I, I trust her and she trusts me that we're not going to do anything stupid with our money. We've always ran it jointly and it's just never been an issue. And then it's like, talk to so many other people and individuals that it's, you see them arguing, you see these, these problems that they've created. And so much of it stems from finances. Yes. And, but probably with you and your fiance though, you guys started out very young together. So you've grown together, right? We talk about we're, we're a team on everything. Yeah. And you guys have grown up together. Yeah. And so you've learned how to, how you want to do things along the way as things have grown for you financially, um, which is different than a couple getting together and, you know, they're 25, 26, they have their jobs, they've been living independently. Now they're blending and doing things together and the way they do their finances may be very different. And now they're trying to blend it. And that's where there's sometimes conflict because one person might be, I'm a cash only person. If I can't pay for it, I'm not getting it. And maybe that's the way they were raised. And then the other person is, yeah, I just put everything on credit card. I'll figure it out later. Well, you put those two people together and it's like, (laughs) what are we doing here? You know, one person comes home and something's being delivered to the house and they put it on a credit card and the the cash person's going, well, how did you pay for that? I put it on credit card. Really? Well, you have credit cards? Well, what are your balance? You know, how do you do that? And sometimes they've never really talked about that, even before they get married or when they're married. That sounds, that, that I have a lot of divorce. Ca- no, I'm telling you, that, I've had uh, divorce uh, cases where they don't even know when they're getting divorced exactly what's going on financially with the other person because they've kept separate bank accounts. They have separate credit cards. They do things jointly. Like they might have a joint bank account that they fund to pay like their shared expenses, but what they're doing independently, they have no idea. And then they get ready to divorce and all of a sudden it's like, I've had conversations where somebody's like, what do I have to disclose all my credit card debt? And I'm like, uh, yeah, (laughs) is is that going to be a problem? (laughs) Well, he doesn't know. He thinks I have two cards, but I really have six. I'm not kidding you. Which I feel like it, I don't know. I I don't know what people spend money on. So I I guess all kinds of stuff. Amazon is a lot of people's really good friend. It is, but it's like, okay. So if somebody has an Amazon buying problem, like how does the other person miss it? Cause it's delivered to the office. Yeah. And then you like put the outfit, you put the outfit on and wear it home. Like you've already had it. (laughs) Are you, you, 
Oh, you there's all like, kinds of sneaky stuff. You go to the. I, I know all yeah, kinds of. I, I don't say, do it, but know, I know all you kinds of sneaky know stuff. stuff about people that we wouldn't even. Well, imagine. like you go to the grocery store and you check out and you you pull out cash when you check out. Oh yeah. How does the spouse know that? And then you're stashing that cash. How would they ever know? Because you're putting, you know, you're, well, you used to write a check. Now you pay with a debit card or whatever. But you do a cash pull out. How does anybody know you did that? Nobody. I just I don't know, like. <laughs> You're dumbfounded. I, am, I have I, you speechless. I, I really am like, my job like, is okay, complete. Yeah, I, I have you is, speechless. This is all news to me too. I'm like, oh yeah, like, there's all I'm, kinds of stuff. There I, is all kinds of things that you, if you don't want to be transparent with your partner financially, there's a lot of things. You I mean, do. I'm, I'm, I'm always one to, I always like to give people the benefit of the doubt, you know? Yeah. Well, not, you, you, not I, think like right. the worst. How to be sketch. Yeah, how can I be but, sketch? <laughs> yeah. No, that's not how your marriage should your marriage should never be that way. But I think it's but it's it, crazy. It is where, that way sometimes for people. Yeah. Like my fiance, Mass, and I, we both work really, really hard. Mm-hmm. So anything she wants to buy, and she does very well financially, and we yeah. both have. And it's like I I'm never the one to say no. Right? Do I agree with like the amount of money she spends on some stuff? Absolutely not. I'm like I think that's the dumbest shit ever. Like <laughs> some of the things she buys, but she says the same thing about stuff I buy. Yeah, but, but you guys like, are good with that with each other which it's like yeah but it's i've never went to buy something and her even look at me or question me or anything no matter what the price tag is okay and that's unusual i'll just say but it, it's that's an same, unusual thing but it's same thing with her like yeah because we both work we both have the respect for each other on a financial level like we know that we're not making bad purchases like i buy all of our cars i know the car space and then like one day i came home i was like hey i bought a new players ranger 1060 and everything we live in a neighborhood She's like, why? I'm like, it was a deal. It was a deal. And she's like, <laughs> couldn't pass it up. She's like, okay, if it was a deal. And like, she just doesn't say anything. like, yeah. she's fine with it. And it's, but she's spent money on like purses. Like I, I don't get the purse thing and she spends, but she, she, we both do something where we set goals of like, that's when right. we get that item. That's when we get that item. And it pushes us mm-hmm. into finances, but it's just, I respect her on what she does. She respects me on what I do. And we've never had even a question on it, but it's, we've also never leveraged ourselves into things that are too big. Like, right. That's yeah. where people get in trouble and that's yeah. just trying to keep up, mm-hmm. you know, you're trying to keep up. And I think there's a lot of pressure to do that when you're younger, like when you're getting out of college and everybody's getting their jobs and you're buying a new car and you know, they just bought a house. So we need to buy a house and they just went to Cabo. We need to go to Cabo. And it's all this keeping up mm-hmm. that I think gets, gets couples in trouble when they're younger. When you're older, you're like, you know, whatever. I'm not trying to match that. I'm trying to, I'm personally trying to save my money so I can retire. I don't need to go to Europe for three weeks. You know, everybody's different. Yeah. So, and that's, uh, like I said, I, I think everyone has a different financial strategy that works for them. What's well, how you're raised too. Yeah. You know, it's how you're raised. My sister and I are both very conservative because I don't want to live in a tent. I will probably never live in a tent, but my mindset is still by the way I was raised that I might end up living in a tent. And so I'm very conservative about my spending. I'm more into investing and saving because I think Stephen is very conservative too. Oh my God. My son was Stephen and Joe. They squeak. They're so tight. We say they squeak. My older (laughs) son too. They squeak. Brett, Will and, and Kate, they're spenders. Yeah. They have their spenders. And that's just interesting. Which it's because they have more now than they've ever had growing up, my younger three. 
So they're spenders. They so I think when they figure out that they can do it, and this is something where I have changed my, mm-hmm. the way that my fiance thinks because she used to, she wasn't a spender. Like when we met each other, like she never bought a car with all the options. It was like bases. They come like, she's like, that. that's how her family was. Yeah. And then she meets us. I'm like, you buy everything as loaded as it possibly comes. I'm like, <laughs> life is short. I'm going to have a sunroof. I'm going to have navigation. I want massaging seats. I want heated and cooled seats. I'm like, life is short. I'll die tomorrow. But at least I had massaging seats before I went out. And so like, that's the way like we've been, but it's, I've always believed in myself where it's like, I can do anything I want. Like right. I bet on myself every single day of the week. And as I started integrating that into her, I was like, we can save a lot and we can still make a lot and save like, right. And spend. Yeah. Like you could play. There should be a good balance. I go, we don't that. have to spend everything. Right. But spend it on the luxuries and like. Mm-hmm. I spend it, it on horses. <laughs> yeah. Cheap hobby. Yeah. I mean, I, it's so funny because I'll look and go, do I really need that pair of shoes? I don't know. Do I need that purse? Oh, my horse needs this super expensive supplement to be comfortable. Yeah. I'm going to go buy that in a heartbeat. Yeah. That's just me. I mean, if it comes to the horses, I don't think anything. It's crazy, but they're also a business. So they're, you know, yeah. they, they do make income for me and stuff, but. So I, yeah, I'll, I, now that I, we're talking about spending, I don't really bat an eye when it comes to my horses, <laughs> but for me personally, I go, do I really need that? Is it a yes or a no? I'm not sure. When it comes to business or personal, like I run them in two completely different areas. Like mm-hmm. in business, it's like, Hey, we need a computer. All right, here's a card. Go buy a $3,000 computer today. Mm-hmm. Don't even think twice about it. And then it's like, I'm putting stuff in my Amazon cart. And I'm like, do I really need to spend $28? I know. I've never thought about it till <laughs> yeah. now that we're talking about it. And I yeah. just, that has never occurred to me that I do think very differently about business spending and my horses, which are a business and me personally, I do the very, very yeah. same. I've never even thought about it, but I do the very same thing. Business is just like, yeah, it's no problem. Done. Need Don't it? even think about it. Need it? Done. Oh, and you then, need a oh, paralegal. You need this. Absolutely. Here's yeah. my card. Get what you need. <laughs> yeah. I want you to be happy. Now I'm like looking at a pair of Hey Dudes that are $59 on Amazon. I'm like, I don't really need <laughs> I don't them. think I need that. I'm like, right. <laughs> so I have, I have a cardinal rule now on my Amazon is I put it in my cart, but I have to wait three days to check out. Oh. Most of the time I go back in like three days. I'm like, I totally forgot. I even want that delete. Yeah, I don't even think that. I don't even think I need that anymore. I tell clients about that when they want to respond back to their spouse, 24 hour or ex-spouse, 24 hour rule. They send you an email. I want you to wait 24 hours. And this is more when I did litigation. I want you to wait 24 hours before you respond because how you respond in 24 hours is probably going to be kinder and thought and more thoughtful than if you respond instantaneously. Don't do that. Yeah. Wait 24. Yeah. And then same thing. Half the time they let that call there. go, yeah, I don't, I don't even care about that now. I've thought yeah. about it overnight. And I don't even care. I'm going to say yes. Great. Say yeah. yes. You know, like changing here anytime around or you that know, point. They're like, something. I want the coffee table. Absolutely not. He's not getting the coffee table. Yeah. We're cutting it in half. <laughs> right. And the next day you're like, I don't even like that coffee table. I don't even like that damn coffee table. He can have it. Yeah. And the coasters that are on top of it <laughs> and the plant, he can have it all. So yeah, same thing. Great. I like the Amazon cart rule. I might. Yeah. It that was, really, a, that was a good uh, move for you. Cause he used to have a, an Amazon problem. I did. So oh, you did. Yeah. So like, did, was there an intervention? Uh, Cause did all the packages I, come here. No, so it's when we were working out of the basement. Oh, uh, so I, because we work with social media and we're on there all the time. Mm-hmm. When I'm done at work, I don't scroll on social media. Yeah. So like Madison would get on her phone, and like now we have a rule where we just put our phones up. I like that rule. But there for a while, like we'd be on our phones at night or mm-hmm. something, and I didn't want to be on social media, so I just scroll Amazon. 
terrible idea. Yes, because there's and, so much on there oh, that you I know. can buy. And, and I just click buy now, and I like scroll on buy now. And yeah. it was like, I didn't even add it all to the card to try to, like, they're like, you get fewer packages. I'm like, I don't really care how many packages you show up. <laughs> yeah, we would. Tuesday combines all your packages if you get them on Tuesday. I would show up in the morning to their house, and there's like 18 Amazon packages. I'm like, oh. You're like, he's got a problem. I'm like, like shoveling, him, <laughs> shoveling him in the front door. Yeah. <laughs> we need to do an intervention. And yeah. Madison all the time, she was like, do you need that? I was like, oh. Well, I like, thought I did at the moment. Yeah, I don't even, most of the time, like, probably 10 out of 10 times, they would all show up and I couldn't even tell you what I ordered. I know. I do that. I order yeah. quite a bit from Amazon too and I just have it delivered to the office. And same thing, like, something came today and I'm like, this and I open it and I go, oh yeah, I totally forgot I ordered that. It's almost like Christmas totally for yourself all the time. I know, right? <laughs> and they've already packaged them up for you. They're wrapped. Yep. And it's like, yep. yeah, so that was my, my three day rule is actually, I would say cut my Amazon yeah. down to probably less than 5%. I'd, I'd stick to that rule. Yeah, good that's a good it. idea. I don't think I'm going to do that with my horses though. I order through Amazon for them. They get what they need. So I order stuff for work. Mm-hmm. And if like, if I need time for work, I'll get on there and just click buy now, roll. Mm-hmm. Don't even think about it. Mm-hmm. But if I put some, if it is personal, a personal item. Goes in the three day whole chart. So now I have this thing where I kind of try to push thing into business. <laughs> I'm like, do I want to buy this? I'm like, it would look good in could the it, office. Could, yeah. <laughs> can we set it in the office somewhere yeah. and then I'll take it home later? Yeah. Like yeah. I did it last week. I have a, a gold, black and gold hundred dollar bill rug upstairs that it got yeah. me. Well, see, you could do that. I don't think I've seen that. See, that's yeah. kind of some of the things kind of, you could bring it to the office first you know, let it be here for a while. And then you just bring it home. And Madison's like, well, what is that? I we had it at the office. I was kind of getting tired of it. I thought I'd just bring it home. Maybe we could find <laughs> uh, a place for it here. Probably anything. Hopefully I, Madison's not listening right now. Oh, she definitely is. And <laughs> she would tell you if she was here also that no decor I've picked here would be going into our house. Ah, there you go. So uh, I we, like your I decor think that here. Is a rule. Thank you. I like your bourbon and whiskey bottles and the fact that they have alcohol in them. Yeah. That's I a, like that. And your lantern, you guys have some cool. There's some antiques in here, and I love that lamp that's out there. That you, that's the parts lamp. That is really cool. Yeah, it's. I'm, There's a couple of those around here. I like. You'll have to check them all out. I'm going go. to. That I've been looking at that lamp. I did you buy that or somebody made it? Uh, I bought. So I can't give out my full secret, but I buy antiques. That I have a, a rule that when I buy stuff, I buy the heaviest stuff I can possibly buy. If it's really heavy, I feel like it's worth more. Yeah. So like that that lamp it's weighs heavy. a ton. And I, I have another some, one. Yeah, that's really cool. That, I like that a lot. So Madison has a very much a uh, lighter vibe. Mm-hmm. I like the vibe of yours is like, more farmy, rusticish, rustic. Yeah. <clears throat> Anything that's Mar- metal? modern farmhouse is kind of your vibe. I think I like it. I think is she more contemporary? It suits us here. Yeah, she would like <clears throat> contemporary, and it's like. Our house is very like bright mm-hmm. and it's everyone's always blown away. Like it look it looks like it's ready for like staging to have photos done tomorrow every single That's day. That's the look I like too. Yeah. I like the more contemporary, clean line, minimalistic, not a lot of stuff sitting around. No. I like that. So I like the two differences. Where yeah. I, can, I I like them both. I just like the other look for my house. So now but, I, I can buy stuff and I'm like, Hey, it doesn't have to go to the house. It can go to the office. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> so no, I do. I love your, I love your office. I love your decor a lot. Thank you very much. Yeah. It's really cool. So, well, um, I think we touched on law firm, mm-hmm. touched on the kids, mm-hmm. touched on the horse farm. Mm-hmm. Poor Dalton. Well, he's still thinking about it. <laughs> he's still traumatized. His childhood, child labor. Uh, no. <laughs> at the 
end of each podcast, when wrapping up, one of our final questions is if you could go back to your 20-year-old self, what would you tell yourself? Something that you know now that you would go tell your 20-year-old self. I shouldn't have been so serious. Not so serious? <clears throat> Not so serious, yeah. I was really fo- When I was in college, I was really focused on getting good grades because I wanted, at the time, I thought I wanted to go to medical school. And I was a lawyer. And I could have had more fun. I think I could have had a better balance in college when I was in my 20s. But I was really... I was on the other side of the spectrum. Hyper-focused. I was having too much fun. I know, right? <laughs> I was. I think I could have had a better balance. And that's why I've told my kids, you know, do, do whatever. Take advantage of doing what you're doing now. They're, well, only Stephen's the only one married. He got married very young. But the others, four. I'm like, take advantage of not having any kids right now. Travel... You know, go do fun things because at the point that you settle down, you have a family, you have children, you're much more restricted in what you can do as far as traveling. I wish I would have done that. I wish I would have gone away to school. I went to Mizzou. And my dad said, go away. Go to the East Coast. Go to the West Coast. Go somewhere and live outside of the Midwest. If you want to come home, you can always come home. And I'm like, I want to go where all my friends are going and they're all going to Mizzou. And so I've never lived anywhere but the Midwest. And I wish I would have traveled more. So you went to Mizzou before UMKC? Before you went mm-hmm. to law school? I went to Mizzou for college, gotcha. and then I went to UMKC for law school. Didn't know that about you. There you go. So I wish I would have traveled more. Yeah. It's, and uh, just explored more when I could. Because you can't, you know, and then now that I'm licensed in Missouri and Kansas, for me to move out of state, I'd have to get another bar. You know, it's like I'm very restricted to where I can go. Yeah. So... But I very much like that. Yeah. And uh, very much appreciate you coming on the podcast. I'm so glad you asked uh, me to come on the podcast. This is, this worked out perfect. So fun. I, I love to have right? you on. Yeah. Thank you, Dalton. I've known you for over 15 years. I know. Dalton and I, I go like, way back. I could be his mother. I yeah. feel like I've been his mother a few times. I feel like I know you way, way more now. You do? Really? Just, okay. I mean, just, I've never like, we've never sat down for an hour and a half. No, we have not. Usually, yeah. usually I'm just telling you to slow down, drive it up my driveway. Yeah. 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 So we actually right. came here for an intervention on Dalton's speed. I, I know. Stop right? running over when he goes, I didn't see the horses out. I'm like, that's because they were a blur. You were driving so <laughs> fast up my driveway. You didn't see the horses. <laughs> that's my B. Yeah. I'll remember next time. I know. You better. It, it had been a while in my defense since I'd been there. So, it had been. That's. I, in I, fact, I'd asked Stephen if you'd been over recently. Wow. I know. That's why I didn't recognize your truck. Now I know it. Yeah. <laughs> I go here he comes. <laughs> there's no hide. There's I know no the blue blur. <laughs> right. That's big right. No, this has been so fun. It yeah. really has. It's been a blast talking yeah. to you guys. Very. Once again, thank you for coming. You're welcome. And uh, I'm. I'm glad that Stephen reached out to set this all up. Me too. Yeah. So. Me too. I think that is going to bring the podcast to an end, and I'm going to key Ricky. Thanks for listening to the M3 Podcast. Podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. Want to learn more? Check us out on Instagram at Moss Marketing Group, on Facebook at Moss Marketing 58, or on our website at mossmarketinggroup.com.